So you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in our series through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And so we're going to start out this morning uh, with something that I want to share that I found humorous, and it's some job descriptions and job postings that I came across this week. And so here's the first one here. This is for a sales job that you have to be college educated, good with computers, and good looking. So uh, there you go. A recruiter already reached out to me about this position. (laughs) So here's an internship that's looking for someone with three years of experience. So someone posted at the bottom of that uh, translation, looking for a qualified professional not to pay. So there's one. Uh, This next one here is a coffee shop that has high requirements for a part-time job. I don't know if you can see it there. It's pretty small. But their education level must be at the doctoral level. So I guess a PhD in barista making or whatever it's called there. Next one here, this, this computer job just puts it plainly. They say, we need a nerd. So I appreciate their straightforwardness with that. Or this next one here, this is from the Carnation Restaurant. They need a waitress who's 18 years old with 20 years of experience. So I don't know how they're going to work that out, but um, good luck on that, right? And then this last one that that I'm going to show you here says, now hiring cashier. But then in the description, it says, cannot look anything like Skeletor from He-Man. And for those of you who were not born in the 1980s, this is what Skeletor from He-Man looks like. Crazy job descriptions. And after looking at these, I was also reminded of uh, a well-known pastor whose wife worked full-time in the home with their kids. And sometimes, you know, they would be at gatherings and someone would ask her, what do you do? And so she would respond by saying this, I'm socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And then she would turn back to the person and say, and what do you do? (laughs) Now, No matter our job, whether out of the home or in the home, we all have certain duties that we have to perform and carry out. Now, sometimes they're clearly written, like in a job description. Other times they're simply expected or understood, or maybe not even understood, but expected, right? And this morning, we're going to be looking at two of the duties in the job description of being a Christian. These are certainly not the only ones, but these are two very important duties. And these duties are not given to only, who, to only those that like special Christians. They're, they're duties that are not given to only those who are considered super Christians. These are given to all people who follow Jesus Christ. And so if you are here today, And if you have put your faith in Jesus, then this is important to know. 
Because you want to you know what you're supposed to be doing as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ. But maybe you're here today and you're still exploring things. You're still trying to figure out if, if this is what you want to follow or if this is what you want to get into. And this is important for you to know as well. Because if you put your faith in Jesus, then this is one of the duties, two of the duties that you are expected to do as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. And so... What are two of the duties in the job description for Christians? Let me go ahead and read the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. I'll read the whole thing and then we'll come back to it. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So let's take a look at these one at a time. And here is the first duty that we're going to look at. And that is that we are called to be salt to a world that is decaying. We're called to be salt to a world that is decaying. Now when we think of salt, we typically, at least for me, I think of it in terms of flavor. For example, on on Mondays, uh, I'm the head chef of the Lewis household. And so almost every week, you'll see me near the end of the meal, probably tasting it and then deciding it needs more salt. And so there I take my little salt grinder and we do some twists on it and put the salt in and I've just salted the meal because I've done it to make it taste better. Now, taste is part of what salt is involved when Jesus mentions salt. But in the ancient world, the primary function of salt was to preserve. So back then, there were no, obviously, there were no fridges. There were no freezers. So if you needed something to last, then salt was used to preserve it. Now, I was born and raised in a suburb of Washington, D.C., so the idea of preserving something with salt is absolutely foreign to me. I knew nothing about it, but thanks to the power of YouTube, I watched how someone would go about preserving meat. So let me just quickly show you. So first of all, you would take a chunk of meat, that's how I describe it, a chunk of meat, and you would cover it with salt. And then after that, you would put it somewhere dark and just let it sit sort of above on a rack where, it can, where the juices can go down and not sit on there. Just cool and dark. And you let it sit there for a good week or two. And over that time, the salt on the outside is going to take out all the moisture of it or most of the moisture of it, making it a very difficult place for germs to hang out. And after that period of time, then you would take the, 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 the hunk of meat with the salt on it and you would wash off all the excess salt and then you would hang it 
and just hang it up there. And, and depending on the meat, it can be stored for up to a year is what I read. Now, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with Christians? And Jesus says that we Christians are the salt of the earth. And so the implication here is, first of all, that the world is decaying. And sin has gotten in the world and is rotting it from the inside out. And we are the ones to bring preservation to it. How do we do that? Because the, the preservation doesn't come just through us, through our own powers. But as Christians... We're the ones who spread the saving message of Jesus to a decaying world. And so in other words, Christians preserve through spreading the saving news of Jesus wherever we go. That's how we're salt to the earth or of the earth. We're going and wherever we go, we, we take our message and we just spread it. We just spread it. We move somewhere else. We spread it there. We get uh, and we go to work and we spread it there. We get home with our family and we spread it there. Wherever we're at, that's where we're at. We are salt spreaders. I was reading this week about the first missionary that came from North America. And his name was George Leals. I'm possibly pronouncing that last name wrong. But he was born a slave around 1750 in Virginia. And at the age of 23, he began preaching to fellow slaves about Jesus. And they ended up forming what was likely the first African-American church gathering in, the, in America. And so after the Revolutionary War, he fled to Jamaica because uh, some Virginia slave uh, owners were trying to re-enslave him. And so to do this, he had to become an indentured servant. But he made his way to Jamaica. And guess what he did? After running for his life and being born into slavery and finally make it to, making it to freedom in Jamaica, he continued to share about Jesus wherever he was. And so he went on to form the first church plant on the island composed of slaves. And so by 1791, he had reported 400 baptisms. Now, white slave owners in Jamaica did not like what he was doing because they uh, didn't want the slaves to be, quote, enlightened with religion. So on multiple occasions, they would throw him in the prison. So what did he do then? He kept preaching about Jesus and baptizing people. So the reason I, I share this is to give you an example of what it looks like to be salt in the earth. Now, maybe you won't have 400 conversions, but I challenge you that wherever you go, wherever you are, to be salt, spreading the salt of the gospel, the good news of Jesus all around. And that's the first duty, that we're salt of the earth. Let's go on to the second one now, and that is that we are called to be light to a world in darkness. Let me read verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. 
So in this verse, or in these verses, Jesus gives a, a great example where he talks about a lamp here. So I, I grabbed one of the lamps from my office and brought it in. You see, I, I have some high-class lamps in my office. Now, what is the purpose of a lamp? Well, the purpose of a lamp here, not a trick question, is to light up an area. So assuming that you need light, is there any reason that you would light up a lamp and then take something? By the way, I got this from Lost and Found. So if anyone has lost a sweatshirt, come find it. Um, But would there be any reason why someone who needs light would turn on a lamp and then cover it up? If I saw someone do that, my first thought would be that person's a little crazy in the head. Well, we need light and we are light, but why would we take the light and then hide it? And so Jesus is saying that you are the light. And so don't be like this where where you, you've been given the light. It's here. But then you're like, eh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep this like this. This past week, I was changing out one of the toilets in our house, and uh, at one point, I had moved the new toilet in. I put it on, put the wax ring on, and everything, so it was all connected to the uh, to the the um, like the the little drain part. Um, but then I decided I need to change out the shutoff valve because it was getting rusty. And so I turn off the water to the entire house and I get my little copper pipe cutter and I cut off, cut off the, 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 the rusty shutoff valve. And then I take the new one and this is one of the ones that you just sort of stick on there and I stuck it on and after cleaning it, I did clean the copper pipe, but I stuck it on there and it leaked. Turn the water on and it started leaking. Not a lot. But leaking, and you know, you, you can't have a valve that's leaking, even because just a little leak every once in a while is still going to cause a problem. So I started playing around with it, started getting in there. I started trying to, to figure out what's going on. And then I decided to try to take it off and, and re-put it on. I could not get it off. It was too close to the, to the wall. And so there I was, sweating and grunting at the pipe. And I ended up then having to rip off the new toilet that I just put down and move it out of there so I could get closer. And then I had to cut out part of the wall around the the shutoff valve. And as things progressed, I, I started out with just the bathroom light on. But as things got more serious, I got more and more lights shining at this little copper pipe that would not stop leaking and would not come off. And so first one flashlight and then two. And then finally, when I finally got it off, I had three flashlights pointing at it from different angles to try to figure out what was going on with it. Now, why did I do that? Because the more light that I had helped me see better as I was trying to get in there and figure out what was going on. And don't worry, church. I know you're worried what happened to this pipe. Um, I did eventually fix it. Uh, we have a large hole behind the toilet now. We have a, a new toilet with a large hole. 
that will get replaced sometime in the next couple of years. So don't worry. But church, we are called to be the light to this world. We're called to be the ones to shine into darkness like this so that people can be saved. Now, how do we do this? How are we light to the world? Well, I want to give you a, a couple of ways. I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about how we are light to this world. And so let's look again at verse 16. Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So first we see that we are to bring the light to others. So not only do we not hide it, we don't cover it up, but we are to take the light and bring it to others. So in other words, we're to tell people about Jesus. We're to tell them with our words and we're to tell them with our actions. Now, Francis of Assisi is attributed with this quote, even though he didn't actually say it, but it's a good quote, whoever came up with it. And so someone said, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. And so I want to challenge you to preach the gospel at all times, always with your actions. And if you need to, with your words as well. So this means that that we shouldn't live in just a little Christian bubble. This means that we need to live in the world, though we're not of the world. But here's the cool thing. I was thinking about this this week. We live here in New Hampshire in one of the least religious states in the entire country. Study came out just a, a year or two ago that, that uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire were tied as the least religious states. You, wonder, you may be wondering, how is that cool? Well, it's cool because we don't have to travel far to go, on, to, to go to the mission field. We live in the mission field. So th- this year, over the next probably eight months, we're possibly going to be having two or three mission teams from the South fly up to New Hampshire and they're flying here to go on a mission trip. We have people flying here, paying money to fly here to go to the mission field. All we have to do to go on, the, on, a, to go on a mission trip is to go to work, is to go to Walmart, is to go to our neighbors. So we live in the mission field here. Now, I, I'm all for going to other states and going out of the state, out of the country on mission trips. But there are tons of reasons that we, that we may not be able to go at different stages or different times in our lives. But the reality is, is that you don't have to travel out of state or out of the country to find large groups of people who don't know Jesus. People right here in New England are desperate for the light. They may not know that yet, but they are in desperate need of the light of the good news of Jesus. 
And we're called to go and to bring it to them. Here's the second thing that we see from verse 16. That is that, that we don't have to create light. We're simply the ones to reflect the light of our Savior. So it, it's not like we have to be like, light up, and then finally lights up. No, we are simply reflecting the light of our Savior. I heard a, one pastor describe it this way. When Christ came to the earth, he was like the sun shining in the earth. But when he ascended into heaven, the sun was no longer in the earth. The S-U-N was no longer in the earth. Now that the sun is not there, the sun is shining on the moon. The moon comes up. And the moon is a picture of the church. And so as the, as the moon, we're not shining our own light. The moon doesn't have any light. Instead, the moon is simply a reflection of the sun that's shining on us. And that's us as Christians. We're called to reflect the light of Jesus into this dark world. So you don't have to make things up. You don't have to fake things. You're simply taking what Jesus has done in your life and you're shining it to other people. The third We see that we are to live in a way that's not influenced by the world. Because when you're influenced by the world, you're not going to be a bright light. Instead of a full bright moon, it would be like um, uh, the, the moon on a cloudy night, sort of covered up. And when you are influenced by the world, what you're doing is you're covering up your light. You're making yourself look more and more like the world. James tells us that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So that's, that's a major part of being a believer Jesus is to keep oneself unstained unstained from the world around us. So if you will live in the world, but not be of the world, you will make a difference. Your light will shine to those around you. And by the way, if, if God says something is a sin and the world says that it's fine to do, then which one should Christians choose? You choose God every time. And too often we try to be like the world to be attractive or to to, to fit in. And I want to say, don't do that. Be different. Be godly. Be a shining light to this dark, dark world. Fourth and lastly, We are to be intentional. So it it takes intentionality to be salt or to be light in this world. So we're not going to accidentally be effective salt or light. But if you will live with intentionality, with God helping you, 
you will achieve great things. This week, I was preparing to take my son up to Manchester for his band practice. And then after that, I was going to drop him off and then drive an hour to go to a visitation at a funeral home. And so I've shared before how I've had kidney stones in the past. I'm always paranoid about drinking enough water. And so before we left the house, I down an entire glass of water. Kidneys happy, right? And then up we go to Manchester, drop my son off, and then I head east to get to the visitation. Well, no more than five minutes out of Manchester, and I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom. But I'm on 101, and then I'm on 95 South. There's no rest stops anywhere on those roads, unless you want to exit off the highway. And I didn't want to exit off the highway. And so I decided I would wait till I got to the little town. So after 50 minutes, I arrive in this little town. It's around 5.30. And it's this cute little New England town with nothing open at 5.30 at night. And I'm looking around. And the, the Dunkin' Donuts is closed. And the, the, there's offices that are not going to let someone in. I'm basically now by, by this point crossing my legs, making a mental plan to just pull into a parking lot at a random spot and relieve myself. But I knew that there's too many ring cameras out there these days. And I don't want to end up on Facebook as the New Hampshire pastor that relieved himself in Massachusetts. I just don't want that reputation. And so finally, after 55 minutes in that car, I see a Shaw's with a little halo around it off in the distance. And I quickly pull in and I quick step into the grocery store. And there's no signs for a bathroom. But I, I knew that, you know, bathrooms and grocery store, they're usually along the, the outside wall. So I, I pick one direction, I turn right, and I start going. And I pick the wrong direction because I go around the entire grocery store until I see the restroom sign and I go in and I finally find relief. I find my potty there. Now, why am I telling you this this morning? Because even though there were no readily accessible bathrooms, listen, I found a way. I was intentional because it was very important to me by that point. So just because it was difficult, just because there were no bathrooms right nearby, didn't mean that I just gave up. In fact, the, the difficulty of it made me even more intentional, made it even more urgent for me to find something. And what if we had the same intentionality about being a light to this dark world? What if we lived with that same intentionality about being salt in the world? We may say, oh, but, but it's hard to be salt. It's hard to be light. No kidding. But try harder and be intentional because it's important. Someone may say, oh, but, but I get embarrassed when I share about Jesus. So What? Get embarrassed. It's important. Be intentional. Because if it's important, it shouldn't matter if it's hard or if you might get embarrassed for a moment from your friends. So we live 
on a mission or in a mission field. We're not lacking in opportunities to be a light. And so what's holding us back? I want to encourage you, be intentional. And if you will be intentional, you will reach people with the good news of Jesus, with the light of the gospel. D.L. Moody was a famous evangelist, American evangelist from the 19th century, stationed out in Chicago. And in his biography, he talks about how he had the goal to share about Jesus at least one time every day. So he wanted to witness to one person every day. So on one of the days, he had a busy schedule, and he finally made it to bed at 10 o'clock at night. And then he realized that he had never witnessed to anyone that day. So he got out of bed and he went outside and and he found the first person he could find there. It was standing by the road at a lamppost. And he went up to him and he said, are you a Christian? And this man flew into a violent rage and threatened to knock him down. Later on, this man went up to a church leader that was connected with Moody And complained about Moody being overzealous. He wanted Moody to tone it down a little bit. So fast forward three months. And Moody's sleeping at a YMCA when a man knocks on the door. He gets up, gets out of bed, answers the door. And it's the same man that he had witnessed to three months prior. And this man... Talks to him and he says that he or he apologizes for his behavior from three months prior. And, and he told Moody that he had had no peace since the night that Moody had witnessed to him. And that night, that man gave his life to Jesus Christ. Church, let's be intentional about being salt. Let's be intentional about being light. And when we do, let's just watch at the amazing things that God will do through us. Amen. Let's go ahead and let's spend a moment now in prayer.